Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to a bonus episode of the Nasty Pasty. How have you been in the last few days since you last heard me? Now, if you've been following us up to this point, you might be aware of the whole zombie film series that we covered on our official 30th episode. You'll remember that we covered two unofficial sequels to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Lucio Fulci's Zombie Flesh Eaters, which were cobbled together in Italy as Zombie and Zombie 2. Now, we covered Killing Birds and Panic, which have flew around as Zombie Flesh Eaters 4, Zombie 5 or Zombie 4 at some point or another. So today, we're going to be covering the two direct continuations in the UK series, which are known as Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 and Zombie Flesh Eaters 3, which are sometimes known as Zombie 3 and Zombie 4, respectively. Of course, Dawn of the Dead and Zombie Flesh Eaters were both video nasties in the UK, so they do have quite prominent significance to our scouting around for potential lost nasty-worthy material. Fulci's film, of course, was treated much more severely than Romero's, because it actually ended up as one of the final banned films, and it get, got a whole lot of people into legal troubles, including Mike Lee of Vipco. So in the name of justice, let's waste no time and delve into our first meaty morsel, Zombie Flesh Eaters 2. Working on an experimental virus called Death One, two scientists inject the formula into a body, only for him to mutate in front of them into a walking corpse. The lead scientist, named Holder, wishes to stop development on the virus and asks that it be transported away. A military helicopter arrives to transport it when the scientists are attacked by bioterrorists and the virus is stolen. The one who holds the viral case is hurt by helicopter gunfire during his escape, damaging the container which leaks into the ground and into the wound on his hand. 
He reaches a hotel resort and checks into a room to hide out, struggling with the infection which is spreading through his body. Holder explains to Colonel Morton, the officer in charge, that the virus will simply dissolve into thin air. But if the vi- but if the man is injured, he will be the vector for the virus and can spread it quite rapidly. The man deteriorates in his hotel bathroom, hacking his contaminated hand off. A maid who comes in to clean is attacked by the man in the bathroom, who bashes her head against a mirror just as the military arrive to quarantine the hotel with a hazmat team. Finding the man dead, Morton orders the entire population of people staying at the hotel to be killed and burned in a mass grave, much to the chagrin of Holder, who warns that incineration may not get rid of the contamination. Sure enough, the virus becomes airborne and infects the local birds. Three soldiers, Kenny, Roger and Bo, are on vacation in the area, and they encounter a bus full of tourists, including Nancy, Susanna, Carol, Leah, Jane, Tom, and bus driver Joe. Patricia and her boyfriend Glenn are also driving in the area and encounter a flock of dead birds on the road, when suddenly one flies at Glenn, alive, and pecks him on the cheek. While flirting with the soldiers, the bus of girls is also attacked by a flock of the infected birds, rendering Leah incapacitated. Patricia stops at a gas station for supplies for Glenn's wound, only to be attacked by a manic zombie wielding a machete, which she incinerates in a massive panic. The soldiers and the bus of girls arrive at the hotel for shelter, but find it in a state of disrepair. Leah's condition worsens once upon entering, prompting Bo and Carol to go out to search for a doctor. Their radiator conks out, forcing Carol to go looking for help in an abandoned community pool, where she's suddenly pushed out of a window by a zombie into the pool itself. Bo jumps in after her and pulls her out, only for her legs to have been severed underwater, and now infected, she attacks him. More zombies arrive, forcing Bo to flee the area where he encounters Patricia driving past, and he jumps in her car. Back at the hotel, Tom is killed when he enters a kitchen and opens a fridge, sending an undead flying head towards him. Jane, too, is similarly killed after witnessing this. In Patricia's car, Glenn suddenly attracts Patricia, leading to her abandoning the vehicle whilst Bo fights Glenn off. He's overcome by the zombies and bitten, however, whilst an injured Patricia barely manages to get away by jumping off a bridge. Back at the hotel, Leah has transformed and murdered Susanna in her sleep, whilst Nancy awakens just in time to escape and lead her into falling out of a window. Patricia arrives at the hotel, meeting Roger and Kenny, and the group barricade the doors to prevent the encroaching horde from getting in. They get in anyway, devouring one of the bus passengers and forcing the group to jump from a balcony to escape the horde. By daylight, Roger takes point to scout the area for danger ahead and is attacked by multiple zombies near a small boat dock. Securing some canoes, the group sail upstream, whilst Holder and Morton continue to argue about which course of action to take. Whilst Holder wishes to formulate work on a vaccine, Morton sends clean-up crews of soldiers in hazmat suits to wipe out anything living in the area. When docking upstream, Joe gets distracted by a chicken and is led to a group of the clean-up crew who shoot him dead, forcing the rest of the group, Roger, Kenny, Patricia and Nancy, to run away. They reach an abandoned hospital and take refuge within, with Nancy finding a pregnant woman in a distressing labour and stays behind to look after her. While Patricia looks for Roger and Kenny, who are fighting with a clean-up crew upstairs, she is attacked by the zombified Glenn. Nancy is then attacked by a zombie who tears her face off and then pushes her into the pregnant woman's stomach, whose baby suddenly tears out of the stomach and also joins in ripping Nancy's face off. Patricia manages to stave Glenn off and jams a shovel into his throat, killing him, and reuniting with Roger and Kenny, they escape the hospital and locate a helicopter. 
As they escape, Roger's grabbed off the vehicle by zombies, leaving Kenny and Patricia to escape without him. Whilst Roger manages to free himself from the small group of undead, he's shot down by a clean-up crew. When even the radio DJ on the air is revealed to be infected, Kenny and Patricia decide to return to the island to personally get rid of the undead in order to save the world. Hey, take it easy. Come on, come on. I found a crate full of guns downstairs. Come on. Here, take a look. They're all in very good condition. Oh, my God. Look at Leah. Look at those wounds. Blood. It's so dark. How about us going to find a doctor together? I'd like to go. We ought to take her upstairs. Yeah. She'd be much better off in a bedroom on a real bed. We should wait for the others. Hey, they found a crate of weapons by the looks of it. Great, we'll need them. You plan anything? No, nothing really. I'm free. How about that? I'm free too. In other words, I don't have a steady girl, though I wish I did. The shadow cast by zombie flesh eaters was felt all over the Italian film industry for a long time. While it didn't surpass Dawn in terms of its cinematic and influential merit, it was, however, a blueprint for how to rip off something incredibly epically and actually make it its own mark on the zombie genre. Gone with the deeper social commentaries and the urban terrors of flesh-eating ghouls, Fulci's film instead returned to more basic elements of fear and combined it with the traditional idea of a zombie. The fear of tropical ailments, strange customs, and reanimated dead using voodoo rituals. Instead of the effectively cold capitalist symbology of the vast expanses of a shopping centre, Zombie Flesh Eaters brought you a suffocating, humid and sweaty island setting with the choking stench of ancient decay, rot and deterioration. Whilst Romero zombies were a gunmetal blue with traces of their humanity sadly abandoned, except for a primal desire to explore buildings, Fulci zombies are filthy, earthy revenants of a bygone era, revived in sweltering, punishing heat and covered with the foulest fabrics, dried bone meal and scraps of sinew. Two completely different vibes, each with their own merit. With its vastly different tone and dedication to flesh-tearing action sequences, Fulci's film took off in a way that no one really could predict and it made crap tons at the box office worldwide. Despite this, or not all was positive with this result. It was seized as a video nasty, of course, but by the time that Fulci was approached for a sequel, the Italian film industry was in a bit of a crisis. Many of the grants and the funding to produce Italian films for a European market had dried up exponentially and it was now much more difficult to produce films. Despite the more unstable industry and ill health that he was suffering, Fulci agreed to helm the project, and therefore the initial script was written by Claudio Fregasso and his wife Rosella Drudi. They, of course, collaborated often with Fulci, and an initial treatment was rather ready quite quickly. For budgetary reasons, the film was to be shot in the Philippines to lower the cost, and had a reliable Italian film crew. But when shooting began, however, nothing happened quite as they wanted to. The cast, for example, were flew into Manila and then had to travel to the set, which was in the middle of nowhere, and the conditions were not good either, having expanses of mud and water for miles. 
Not only was the weather punishingly humid and persistently rainy, but the cast and crew's accommodation was pretty bad too. None of the air conditioners worked, the food was subpar, and the local water supplies were infested with parasites, which forced the crew to use bottled water for everything, including brushing their teeth. Showers could be used, but the eyes and mouths had to be closed for fear of infection with the parasites. If that were not bad enough, the area also had an excess of dangerous mosquitoes, more so because the crew and cast were not vaccinated against malaria or tropical diseases due to the rust production. So instead, local doctors prescribed them oral medication which would prevent affliction, but some, including actress Beatrice Ring, had quite bad reactions to the stuff. Fulci too, already ill before agreeing to shoot, found the weather to be extremely uncomfortable, and it aggravated his health to the point that his stomach was swollen, resembling a pregnant lady's belly. While not necessarily an excuse, Lucio Fulci's infamous tantrumy behaviour was also worse on this production, cursing and swearing almost at random, and being incredibly abusive when things did not go his way. Some of the actors found this a little too intolerable, and they distanced themselves from Fulci offset. The script was rewritten several times during shooting, and even in between scenes due to the rather rushed production to get the film out. Even after filming, the film's initial photography only had around an hour's worth of usable footage, and it needed another 25 to 30 minutes in order to make it a full film. Fulci's initial work print cut was an hour and 20 minutes, but a significant chunk of this was the survivors taking canoes to the various locales to pad out the runtime. The producer did not like these scenes dragging the action out, so Fregasso and Matai were called upon for rewrites. Due to Lucio Fulci's health, which had worsened, he could not go back to the Philippines to shoot the extra footage, and the actors were completely unwilling to return too, not only because of the harsh conditions, but also that they were contractually not obliged to. So Bruno Matai and Claudio Fregasso therefore had to work without Fulci or the original actors. So they came up with a wraparound story of the scientists quarrelling with the army about how to control the situation. Between the pair of them, they returned to the Philippines with the crew and some new actors, and they shot the additional footage, amounting to around 20 minutes of the film's total. Fregato also asked Fulci personally for his blessing to continue work on the film, and still to this day considers it mostly Fulci's work. Compared to Fulci's original zombie flesh eaters, this film takes a rather less serious approach to the subject matter of zombies. While the original zombies were rather morbid and imposing corpses that were revived by a voodoo spell, the zombies in this film are dynamic, varied, resourceful and crazy, brought to life by a gaseous contagion which is rather similar to Return of the Living Dead. While the film could be criticised for continuity, with some zombies shambling and slow while some jump and use machetes or even speak, The unpredictable nature of the virus is explained by the scientist's scenes, which at least allow for the seemingly random infection results to be paraded without much thought. I certainly didn't complain, I was having far too much fun. While it's not as expertly crafted as Fulci's original, it nonetheless has merit with how relentless it is. There's action sequences aplenty, and there's some great gory set pieces of the most bizarre calibre. For example, a flock of zombified birds attacking a bus, or a severed zombie's head inexplicably flying and then biting someone's neck, a woman being fished from water to reveal her legs have been devoured, the quickest and most super-violent zombie hacking at Patricia with a machete, and also a pregnant victim that gives birth to a zombie baby which then tears a woman's face off. Don't get me wrong, the characters are much more perfunctory than the ones in Zombie Flesh Eaters, but you don't really notice it that much as the film keeps the toxic gore flowing quite constantly. 
One of the more interesting aspects of the characters that I noticed, anyway, was Nancy. I mean, she survives until quite late in the film, but she actually seems to be an honorary nurse. It's never mentioned, but her moments of dialogue, she's always doing something medical. I mean, she takes care of Leah, even going into detail about her condition where she's been clinically dead for hours. She also bandages Patricia's leg up, and she even tries to help a pregnant woman through labour. Maybe it's sort of poetic that she dies in a hospital, quite literally being worked to death. Patricia's boyfriend, Glenn, is also interesting, one of the few zombies to demonstrate a speaking ability, and one that is incredibly upfront about freely toking on joints occasionally. He also dies from a simple trowel being jammed into his neck, which brings out another interesting detail about the film. The headshot rule doesn't really seem to count. Many zombies are dispatched simply with a spray of gunfire, or being thrown out of a window. In the aforementioned glorious set piece, a zombie's severed head lives on in a fridge, putting the usual rules of zombies out of kilter. And the film's dedication to using prismatic colours and heavy fogs, it really adds to the contamination action vibe that the aesthetic suggests, and it's incredibly effective despite the silliness of the plot. The music too has a really uplifting, frenetic tempo that adds to the mania of the marauding zombies. Patricia was played by Beatrice Ring, who was a French actress, who previously worked as a model and a graphic designer in California, before she got into acting over a debt that she owed to her mother. She found the shoot rather difficult, especially as she'd planned for quite beautiful weather, and she was rather vexed to discover the almost unbearable humidity. She also had quite a bad reaction to the anti-malaria medication by losing the feeling in her legs, which is why, I assume, she spends so much time in the film limping. She also developed hydrophobia after filming had ended due to the fear of the parasites in the Filipino local waters, and she lost a lot of weight as well due to the food being barely adequate, so much so that her parents upon her return didn't actually recognise her. Ring also never met Fulci before filming started, and never met Bruno Mattai at all. She was hired completely by Claudio Fragasso. At the time of filming, Beatrice Ring and Darren Serafian, who played Kenny, were actually engaged to each other. Serafian, of course, was in the Charles Bronson film Ten to Midnight and Interzone previously, and he also became a producer and director later in life, directing the horror film Alien Predator, which we're covering much later, uh, the aforementioned Interzone, and also Death Warrant with Jean-Claude Van Damme. He was also a producer on TV programmes like House and stuff like that. Roger was played by Ottaviano Delacqua, whose most famous appearance is probably the worm-faced zombie in Zombie Flesh Eaters, which was the iconic cover of the American release. He also starred in Poliziotesky movies like The Big Racket and Death Dealers, but after appearing in Fulci's film, he started to appear in Italian horrors like Nightmare City, Rats Night of Terror, Cut and Run, and he even returned in Zombie Flesh Eaters 3, as well as some other Italian action fare like Iron Master 2019 after the fall of New York and Blast Fighter. In recent years, he's become quite a prolific stunts person, working on high-profile films like Quantum of Solace, Angels and Demons, and John Wick Chapter 2. Massimo Vanni, who played Bo, also has a similar background to Delacqua, starring in Poliziotesky movies like Violent Rome and The Big Racket, before going on to Antonio Margariti's Last Hunter, The Bronx Warriors, Blast Fighter, Rat's Night of Terror, Robo War, Shocking Dark, which we're covering next week, and even Zombie Flesh Eaters 3. Nancy was played by Ulai Ranthala, who was in Fulci's Enigma, whilst Marina Loy had previously appeared in Demons 2. 
Now, Marina Loy was actually a childhood friend of Beatrice Ring, who met up with her by coincidence on the set of this film. Loy was originally brought on to play the role of Patricia, but knowing that Ring and Seraphian were together, and being quite a close friend of hers, she decided to swap with Ring so that she could be on screen with him. Anthony Pagan played the zombified terrorist who spills Death One, and he's had countless minor appearances in quite recognisable films like Enter the Dragon, Taxi Driver, Saturday Night Fever, The Warriors, The New York Ripper, The Section 3 Nasty, The Killing Hour, Bronx Warriors, Dirty Dancing, Fatal Attraction, and even Carlito's Way. Director Lucio Fulci, who directed the main sequences of this film, he doesn't really need that much of an introduction to genre fans. Known colloquially as the godfather of gore, Fulci actually dabbled in multiple genres over his career, like westerns, comedies and giallo pictures, before gaining his reputation as a horror maestro. Some of his earlier works, like Lizard in a Woman's Skin, The Psychic and Don't Torture a Duckling, they have much more subtle elements that would later become solidified by his later work. Arguably, it was zombie flesh-eaters that catapulted his work into the cult world, where it received roaring commercial success. While he then pushed out his take on White Fang and a Politioteschi film, Contraband, he soon returned to horror with City of the Living Dead, which was the first of his unofficial Gates of Hell trilogy, which was finished off by The Beyond and House by the Cemetery, both of which joined Zombie Flesh Eaters on the DPP's official Nasties list. Other films of note are The Black Cat, The New York Ripper, Manhattan Baby, Conquest, Murder Rock, Enigma, Sodomer's Ghost, Touch of Death, Cat in the Brain, The House of Clocks, The Sweet House of Horrors, and Demonia. He of course had Hitchcock-esque appearances in most of his films as well, in minor character roles. Claudio Fragazzo, who also directed the wraparound scenes, is also known to most people, infamously as the writer and director of Troll 2 which is dubbed as one of the most entertaining, but most bad movies of all time. Fragasso aided his friend Bruno Matai on a whole bunch of his projects, such as Zombie Creeping Flesh, which was one of the nasties again, Rat's Night of Terror, and he also did some of his own, like Zombie Flesh Eaters 3, which is up next, or Beyond Darkness, which is sometimes released as La Casa 5. He was also a writer, often with his wife Rosella Drudy, on many projects with Matai, like The Other Hell, Zombie Creeping Flesh, Rat's Night of Terror, Interzone, Robowar, and Shocking Dark. Bruno Matai, the third director on the project, is also infamous in his own way as a little bit of a rip-off merchant, albeit a rather an entertaining one. Some of his work includes Nazi exploitation rip-offs like SS Girls, Caged Women, and Women's Camp 119, uh, sexploitation flicks like Emmanuel and the Erotic Nights. He's done nunsploitation with The Other Hell. Science fiction with Rat's Night of Terror, Shocking Dark, Robo War. He's done zombie films with Zombie Creeping Flesh. Shark movies with Cruel Jaws, which is sometimes known as Jaws 5. And just recently, before his death, cannibal rip-offs like Cannibal World, which is sometimes released as Cannibal Holocaust 2, or Cannibal Holocaust The Beginning, as well as Land of Death, which is sometimes released as Cannibal Ferox 3, or Cannibal Holocaust 3. There's a bit of a pattern there, isn't there? The film was written by Fragazzo, Fulci, and also the aforementioned Rosella Drudy, most famous for her work on Troll 2. It was produced by Franco Godenzi, who'd worked on most of Matai's filmography, like Emmanuel and the Erotic Nights, uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters 2, Robo War, Shocking Dark, and then later Zombie Flesh Eaters 3. 
The music was composed by Stefano Mainetti, and it's very good, having that synth-heavy, frenetic vibe that you'd expect from something like Return of the Living Dead. Mainetti also worked on Michelle Soavy's uh, Stage Fright, Interzone, uh, Ratman, and also much later, Talos the Mummy. The director of photography was cinematographer Riccardo Grassetti, another Mattei stalwart who worked on Robowar and Shocking Dark. Mattei himself edited the scenes shot by him and Fragasso, but the editor of Fulci's footage was Alberto Moriani, who we've mentioned before as the editor of Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. He also worked on the video nasties, Zombie Holocaust, and also The Last Hunter. The special effects were also done by someone quite familiar, Franco Di Girolamo, who's been mentioned before on Almost Human. Now, he did loads of Italian genre films, too many to mention again, but he did notably return on Zombie Flesh Eaters 3. He was assisted by Rodolfo Torrenti, who also worked on Zombie Flesh Eaters 3, and Bruno Mattei's Robo War. The film was released in Italy as Zombie 3, where it was also relatively successful, but just not as much as Fulci's original work. Obviously, however, the film did not get caught up in the nasty scare, as it was released in 1988, way after the thing had quietened down. It lacked a VHS release in the UK, though, and the first taste that we had of it was in 2002, when Vipco, the infamous company who released the original Zombie Flesh Eaters, um, released a print on DVD. It was uncut in terms of violence, but it was missing a scene at the beginning which showed the injection of Death One into a corpse. This version was distributed solely until 2015, when 88 Films remastered the film for Blu-ray and DVD, and restoring the previously omitted introductory scene. So, there you have it. That was Zombie Flesh Eaters 2. Let's just go straight into the next film, Zombie Flesh Eaters 3.
On a remote island, a group of scientists investigate the issue of preventing death, whilst a native priest performs a ritualistic rite underground, sending his wife into a bizarre dancing frenzy before she's swallowed by the earth after becoming visibly ill. The scientist bursts in with weapons and accuses the priest of the epidemic which plagues above ground, reanimated dead which are feasting on the living. He explains that he has done so using a voodoo spell to open a gate to hell, in revenge for the death of his daughter who had cancer, and that no one on the island will be spared from the carnage. The scientists shoot him dead, only for his wife to rise from the ground as a fanged demonic zombie, which proceeds to tear them all apart. Above ground, a pair of scientists flee the ensuing carnage and send their daughter off to escape the island alone, entrusting her with her mother's pendant. Around 20 years later, the little girl called Jenny, who presumably escaped, happens to be going past the island with a band of mercenaries and a few friends. She explains that she's dreamed of this island, but that her pendant is a key in order to keep the gate to hell closed. After their boat malfunctions, the group are forced to dock on the island. One of them, Tommy, notices a hooded figure wandering around and follows it, only to be bitten by it when it's revealed that it's actually a zombie. Another trio on the island, Chuck, David and Valerie, are exploring and come across the cave from the film's opening. Jenny's group, including Louise, Mad, Rod, Dan and the injured Tommy, find an abandoned medical shack from one of the researchers and settle down inside of it, finding a protective circle of candles, which Jenny insists will stop the dead from rising if she puts her pendant inside it. Rod, however, is sceptical and blows all the candles out whilst Chuck's team come across the tome that the priest was reading from in the beginning. Reading an excerpt of it, they're suddenly beset upon by a group of the hooded zombies, who kill Valerie and David whilst Chuck escapes. Back at the shack, zombies arrive from the ground outside and attack in full force, with Chuck arriving and informing them that they can be killed with headshots. As the group defend the building, Jenny relights the candles and puts the amulet in the centre, preventing the zombies from advancing any further. Tommy, however, reanimates as a zombie inside the house and kills Louise before attacking Jenny. Driving him off, she's soon attacked by another one and then saved by Mad. But when the candles blow out in the wind, the group are forced to surround the shack with fire to stave the zombies off. After they're forced to kill the reanimated Tommy, Rod is driven mad with rage and jumps into the crowd of zombies outside to shoot them in a frenzy. Suddenly happening upon Louise, she asks him why he has left her just before she bites into him and devours him. Jenny begins to recall her memories from when she was younger and says that it was her father who started the colony of scientists who incurred the wrath of the locals when their experimental vaccine for cancer did not work on the voodoo priest's daughter, causing him to curse the islanders. After spending the night, Mad wakes up to a reanimated rod taunting him from outside the shack. Unable to help himself, Mad follows him and is caught off guard when the zombified Rod shoots him with a gun and subsequently bites him. He dies and then reanimates and shoots Dan in the legs. Chuck and Jenny take the opportunity to leave while Dan quickly becomes overrun with the zombies and perishes when he detonates a grenade, taking them all out with him. After fending off some more zombie attacks, Chuck and Jenny hide out until daylight where they notice that they're back at the cave where Chuck lost his friends. They enter again, and Jenny reads from the Book of the Dead that if you're willing to sacrifice your soul, the gate to hell can close. She throws her amulet into the supposed gate to hell, and Jenny's face then suddenly becomes disfigured, while Chuck is attacked from behind by a zombie who punches a hole through his chest. Jenny 
then tears more of her face off, becoming an undead herself, as the film ends. He may be scaring the rest of you, and if you guys haven't got the guts to shoot, I ain't afraid to. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Aim here. But remember, I'll persecute you after I'm dead. I'll come looking for you to feed on your intestines. I'll be in your nightmares. Blow your brains out. Stop! Don't you realize he's our only hope of putting an end to this insane slaughter? <laughs> There's nothing you can do. I've used magic to open the third door to hell. All of your science and all of your research is helpless against that. There's no place on earth for you to hide from voodoo. No one will survive here. Where the dead shall devour the living. And this island is destined to become the island of the living dead. You're wrong. You're mad. Some of us have already managed to get away. Thanks to them, your macabre plans will be defeated. No one can escape the voodoo spell. No one can escape his destiny. Come back to life now if you can, bastard! You fool! You realize what you've done? It seems that after his work on Zombie Creeping Flesh and Zombie Flesh Eaters 2, Claudio Fragasso wanted to make his own version of a zombie tale, and this film, known alternatively as After Death, Zombie 4, or Zombie Flesh Eaters 3, is the result of that desire. It's a strange film, as it feels quite different again from the others, but not so much as to feel completely alien. It still has those vestigial elements that actually do link it with the former films. The action is set back on a tropical island, in the same vein as the original Zombie Flesh Eaters. But unlike Fulci's more subtle zombie origins, Zombie Flesh Eaters 3 has an entire opening section dedicated to explaining the necromancy. After some disco hoofing around by a priestess who's suddenly swallowed by the earth, our priest explains that because of the death of his daughter, he's cursed the scientists that he finds responsible with voodoo magic, causing the dead to reanimate in order to devour them. The scientists, however, do refer to this as an epidemic, which can confuse matters as one can suddenly think that it's a disease that's running rampant, especially when the scientist mentions work on cures and so forth. Regardless, the rest of the film takes the side of the supernatural, with circles of Satan, a book of the dead, gates of hell being mentioned. It's almost like a pastiche of all the living dead methodologies come together in one film. Having said that, too many cooks spoil the broth, and it soon becomes apparent that with so much exposition, the rules and explanations for the dead become quite confused and broken rather quickly. Sure, the voodoo priest starts off the cycle of zombies, but after our heroine of the film Jenny returns, there's still zombies roaming around. Despite this, Chuck's party recites an incantation from the Book of the Dead and seemingly activate the curse. But how can there be zombies if this spell had been halted? And if not, why even feature the incantation at all, as though, being, as though it being read is actually something significant? The same goes for the circles of Satan. We're told that as long as the candles remain lit, 
and the pendant is in the centre, the zombies cannot advance any further. But no more than two seconds later, two different zombies attack Jenny within the shack. Does the circle omit any zombies that are already too close? Even in the ending, Jenny explains that you can close the gate to hell in order to stop the zombies' assault. But if that were the case, how did it close in the first place? It must have been closed in order for Chuck and his party to open it again. Or was it even open at all? It gets far too confusing at times, which wouldn't normally be a problem, but so much of the film's script is geared towards explaining the supernatural occurrences that it becomes a bit too obvious when things don't add up. It's also fairly obvious that the film's characters and situations are purely at the mercy of the film's script too. Take Jenny for example. She's let go by her mother, who has hopes that she'll escape in the film's prelude, handing her a pendant to protect her. How a little girl of this age managed to escape a tropical island and get back to civilization is utterly ludicrous. Especially when she ends up coming back by happenstance. Despite the meagre amount of interaction with her mother on the subject of the carnage around her, Jenny is also freely able to explain every single nuance about the island's strange properties, such as the fact that the dead are coming back to life because of voodoo magic, that her pendant is somehow able to stop the zombies if within a circle of candles, and that the Book of the Dead holds the key to closing the gate to hell. How on earth would she know these things? Not only is the fact that she's an amnesiac against her, seeing as she couldn't even remember the island when she first gets there, but the only people that she could have gleaned this information from are her parents, two straight-laced, scientifically-minded biologists who are researching cancer cures. Why would they, in the short amount of time since the epidemic started, suddenly believe in and then swat up on voodoo mysticism, and then feel compelled to inform their infant daughter of it all, is just something that's just a bit too stupid for words. Even Tommy's character, woefully underdeveloped, has only one single memorable thing about him. They're wandering through the island when a hooded figure walks past. Tommy spots this and pursues him, only to just start beating the guy up rather than speaking to him. Now, the viewer knows that this is a zombie, but how on earth could he have known? Does he often just beat people up at first sight? I mean, the scene bewildered me so much that I actually cared even less than normal when he got bitten. Even Rod tries to get into Louise's knickers, and when she refuses, he looks genuinely forlorn. I mean, what, you think she was going to jump your bones in the midst of a zombie-laden clearing in a grubby shack? The film's ending also has a touch of this strangeness of the script. Jenny's convinced that she can close the gate to hell, but when she casts her pendant in the hole, she just transforms into a zombie herself, leaving it massively ambiguous as to whether the plan has worked or not. Not that it makes much difference anyway, because Chuck has also perished behind her, so who even benefits even if she did close it? The script has a lot to answer for. It has lines like, I'll persecute you long after I'm dead, I'll hunt you down and eat your intestines. And, these graves are empty. Oh, they didn't pay their rent, so they got evicted. While the script is probably the weakest aspect of the film, mainly because it drags so much of the film down when it relies on it so heavily, one aspect of the film that is comparably masterfully done is the gore. You get some really great bloody shots in this and are treated to some great deaths. The film's beginning is a particular highlight and it continues with eyeball gouging, face tearings, neck biting and chest punchings. Like the two films before it, the film really does go for the punchy bloodletting moments, and it carries them off very successfully. So, so much so, actually, that one can actually forgive the shoddy script that's just all over the place. The characters are dispatched in such graphic ways that you kind of forget their stupidity when you're being so satisfied by their demise. 
The zombies, too, are quite an interesting bunch. Most of the original island inhabitants seem to be draped in cloaks or tightly fitting garbs, rather like ninja. They don't perform kung fu, but they do have that mismatch with some of them permanently shambling, and then some of them are running. It's admittedly less effective, though, than it was in the previous film, as the origins of that contagion were left ambiguous. But in this film, they've all been affected by the same voodoo spell, so there should be more continuity. The human survivors, who are subsequently bitten, also have more unique traits, perhaps because they're relatively fresh. Most of them retain the power to speak, and both Rod and Mad utilising their assault rifles whilst undead. It's an interesting idea, rather like the priestess from the beginning is also quite fresh from the grave, and she actually resembles one of the creatures from Lamberto Barva's demons, with emboldened teeth, putrid saliva, and a real frenetic flaying of her victim's skin. The motif of the fouled rule is also carried through in most of the other zombies too. It's the only piece of continuity really with the whole horde. The only slight that I perceive with the violence, and the zombies in general, is that they seem to have a zombie lake inspired desire to only inflict minor nibbles to the neck rather than full body flesh eating. It's a little bit of a weakness when the two previous films had much more actual flesh-eating, but it's a minor quibble, however. The film's rather quick pace allows you to get over this without too much issue. The film's locations, too, are quite good. I mean, everyone likes a tropical island setting for zombies, evidenced by the fairly recent video game Dead Island, and also the original Fulci film. The cave set, however, is rather heavy with the coloured gels over spotlights, and someone definitely invested in a smoke machine or two for these scenes. But the general palette of the film's cinematography in general is incredibly colourful, and it does liken the action to more of a comic book style feel. Maybe that's aided, actually, by the rather threadbare plot. Fulci's first film was coloured with mostly earthy clay tones, to match with the excess of red and green, while Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 was quite heavy on the muted colours and the greens, with an excess of fog and mist. But this example, it really pops off the screen as vibrant greens are clashing with blues, oranges and reds of the cave sets, as well as the rainbow of gore emanating from our zombified fiends. The film definitely has its problems, but the dedication to splattering the the screen with good stuff and keeping us at bay with a decent amount of zombie carnage allows you to wallow in the film's stupidity enough to actually enjoy the experience. Main girl Jenny was played by actress Candice Daly, who only had a few roles to her name in things like 1988's Hell Hunters or 1991's Liquid Dreams. She tragically passed away in 2004 at the young age of just 38 from a combination of drug abuse and steatohepatitis, an inflammation and accumulation of fatty cells in the liver. Her co-star, who played Chuck, is someone, however, far more recognisable in the right circles. Though he's credited as Chuck Payton, it is in fact adult porn star Jeff Stryker, who's rather infamous for his huge plethora of pornographic films both in straight and gay roles. Zombie Flesh Eaters 3 was pretty much his only non-pornographic outing, after which he pretty much went back to pornography, presumably because it made him more money. And with titles like Power Tool and Every Which Way, who could really resist that? Massimo Varni, who we've mentioned before on the previous film, is back in this one as the ill-fated David, while Ottaviano Dell'Acqua also returns in a small role as one of the scientists who slaughtered in the opening. Interestingly, his brother Alberto Dell'Acqua is playing the scientist who shoots the voodoo priest in the same opening scenes. 
Jim Gaines, who played Dan, has had quite a few minor roles in films throughout the years, like Margarita's Last Hunter, Apocalypse Now, Enter the Ninja, American Ninja, Robo War, 1996's sci-fi DNA, and also, more recently, Faster, which starred Dwayne Johnson and Billy Bob Thornton. Tommy was played by someone called Don Wilson, but it's clearly not the prominent martial artist character who's been in loads of stuff. It has to be a pseudonym, because the IMDb links it to the wrong actor, strangely. The main scientist in the opening scenes was played by Fausto Lombardi, whom we've seen previously in Terror Express, whilst Romano Popo, who played one of the zombies, had been in loads of things, actually, like Ghoulies 2, Robo War, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, The Big Racket, The Great Alligator, 2019 After the Fall of New York, Escape from the Bronx, and also Fulci's Contraband. Finally, there's James Sampson, who'd been in a couple of the video nasties himself, like Zombie Flesh Eaters and Absurd. But he also did some small character roles in City of the Living Dead, Escape from the Bronx, 2019 After the Fall of New York, Stage Fright and Shocking Dark. We've already delved into director Claudio Fragasso's history, who was the director, and Rosella Drudy, his wife, who was the writer on this film. In fact, there's quite a few crew members from Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 returning for this one, including Franco Gordenzi, the producer, and the special effects guys Franco Di Girolamo and Rodolfo Torrenti. Gordenzi was assisted by the art director Mimo Scavia, who also worked as an art director on Zombie Flesh Eaters 2, Robo War, and also Shocking Dark. The music was done by Al Fester, who also composed the music for Robo War and Fatal Frames, a film which he directed and also won several awards for. The cinematographer was Luigi Cicciaresi, who also worked as a camera operator on our previous film this week, but he also worked on Enigma, Demonia, Cruel Jaws, animatized later work like Cannibal World, In the Land of the Cannibals, and Island of the Living Dead. The special effects guys were assisted by Francesco and Gaetano Palici, who, again, were Matei's guys of choice, working further on Shocking Dark and Robo War, as well as Ruggiero Diodato's body count. In the same way that the previous film avoided the nasty scare, so too did this one, being released later the same year as Fulci's second instalment. It had releases in America and Italy at the time it came out, but the distribution was a bit poorer elsewhere. The UK first got a taste of Zombie Flesh Eaters 3 when Vipco released the uncut copy on VHS and DVD in 2002. It's circulated in the same print ever since, having another re-release of the same disc in 2010, which means it's just screaming for a remaster from 88 films in the same vein as they did Zombie Flesh Eaters 2. Well, that's it for today, folks. That's our bonus episode over. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and as usual, do get in touch if you enjoyed these films yourself. I'd love to hear from you. 
but we'll be releasing another episode in a few days' time on our Alien Rip-Offs episode. So join us on Friday for Alien Terror and Shocking Dark. But until that time, stay nasty, people, and goodbye. <laughs>